That's very interesting, you guys. I'm about to get up. Good morning. And uh, I just woke up and I was like, wow. This is, um, I feel like I'm in a movie. <laughs> uh, my daughter just was saying, Mom, I went to the store early this morning. Thought the store opened up at 7. They pushed it to 8. They had a line. And she said, when I went in the store, they had the announcements like every five minutes. You only get one item per basket per family. So like one pack of eggs, one gallon of milk, one loaf of bread, one pack of meat, one pack of tissue, one whatever you getting, you only can get one of. I was like, are you serious? I was like, oh my gosh. And then when when I opened my eyes, because I've been up while I was laying down, I dove back off to sleep, right, you guys? And so when I just opened my eyes, and the TV was already on, and they're like the commercial, you guys, how to wash your hands. A whole commercial. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know. This is like so serene here. I really feel like I'm in some type of zombie apocalypse movie. <laughs> Just thank God the breakouts are not zombies. <laughs> And so, anyway, I pray you guys are okay this good. 
Saturday morning, um, I got to get up and get ready. I got to do, I think, three conference calls today and work on some accounting. And um, it just is what it is. God is so faithful and he's good and we just got to take it like that, right? So you guys, y'all be blessed. I'm going to chime in with you all later. This is Dr. D with the Boom Factor. God bless. District. Congressman, good to have you here. Good to be with you, John. Thank you. As we're standing here right now, what's top of mind for you? So I've been able to visit our health centers in, in my district, hospitals, meeting with the mayors. Uh, the top concern right now is PPE, so uh, we have to... What is that? Uh, personal protective equipment, so we're talking about the mask, face shield, yeah. the mask, uh, uh, what they call the gown or, or the suit as well as gloves. So uh, we had a request in for 750,000 sets from Massachusetts. I think we got 10% of what we asked for because of the limitation. So a lot of my hospitals, uh, health centers, even the VA uh, are getting short on the supply of that. Of course, we have to protect our first responders and healthcare workers in order to do the tests. We're anticipating a big surge because the testing hasn't gone on for such a long time. If you look at places like Italy and South Korea, <clears throat> those numbers spiked because uh, they weren't testing. And then once they started testing, uh, there was this big demand for beds and, and for, for treatment. So uh, we're worried about the number of beds that might be accessible uh, to coronavirus patients because you don't want to co-mingle. You've got to have almost dedicated uh, uh, facilities for that. Uh, Kearney Hospital has agreed to be a coronavirus center, uh, and we're actually looking at perhaps moving some patients within the VA to create additional coronavirus centers. I wrote a letter yesterday uh, to the United States Navy asking if they might make a ship available. Some of these larger ships, uh, like the USS Wasp, for example, uh, has uh, 46 beds, uh, regular beds, 14 uh, uh, ICU beds, and then they also have operating rooms and all the other facilities. So basically like a small hospital. I've heard it said that we're struggling now to play catch-up uh, for an abject lack of proper pre-planning. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, I would say so. I, I say we, we took our eye off the ball. Uh, I chair the subcommittee on national security. Uh, we were advocates for getting a cabinet-level uh, secretary in there for biodefense. Uh, unfortunately, that person was let go uh, a couple of years ago. So I think if there was going to be one voice that was in the president's ear about biodefense, it would have been that person. They also would have been watching the stockpiles that, that dwindled because we weren't paying attention. So we're paying that price now. Are you a supporter of the idea of the direct grants, the 1,000, 2,000, I believe Congressman Kennedy has called for, or another approach? Yeah, well, I'll support it. It's not the best, but when you think about it, uh, the economy is suffering because we're telling people to stay home. Even if you give them $1,000, we're still going to tell them to stay home. So it's not going to be flush out into the economy. People will be ordering you know, take out or whatever. Uh, so, look, 
it's uh, we don't have a lot of good choices, right? So giving cash disbursements, I, I guess, is, is one way to do it. Uh, I don't know how long we can do that, uh, and uh, I don't know how much impact it's going to have on, on the general economy. Uh, and look, you, you, this is a measure of our society. You protect the most vulnerable. You protect, protect the most vulnerable, and that's what we have to do here. And, and uh, look, we're all in this together. Uh, again, we, we are, we're going to ask people to, to, to stay home, to uh, sequester, and, and that's going to hurt the economy. The, the cure here will hurt the economy. There's just no way around it. So uh, we're just going to have to bite the bullet. When we get straightened out, the markets will come back because this is, this is an exogenous event. This is something that's not dealing with the, the fundamentals of the economy. It's really what we're asking people to do in the conduct of, of the American people. So keep the faith. Have confidence. You know, our nation has gone through some real challenges. You know, asking people to go to war is one thing. Asking people to sit on the couch, stay home, don't harm each other, is, is something I think we should be able to handle. All right, we'll be back with more with our conversation with Congressman Stephen Lynch in just a moment. Please stay with us. Can we please turn on the air conditioning? It is on. It just doesn't work when it's hot outside. <laughs> Sammy and I have rigged a fan, a bucket of ice, and a chute that blows cold air. Ugh. All right, Lizzie, give it. No. You're talking it. Ah! They broke it. Yes, it appears the chute has hit the fan. Broke. Premiering Thursday, April 2nd on CBS. It's Ian Armitage from Young Sheldon. This is Annie. Hi. It's me, Sonequa Martin-Green. It's Phil Cogan here from The Amazing Race with some crazy hair for a crazy time. If you're anything like me, you're at home glued to your TV. Checking the news, checking our phones. Whenever I'm scared, I always look to my family to get a little happiness or a little laughter. We want you to know that you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not. We're still connected. We're still us. We can still laugh and smile. Still share moments. And be happy. That's what I'm going to be doing. This is a time when we really need to focus on what's important. Let's be responsible. We are here for you. All working together. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. <laughs> it's really important to remember that we are all in this together. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. And we will get through this as we always do. I love you all. Peace. Searching for a peek behind the curtain. The return to glory. I'm having an emotion I'm unfamiliar with. We're all winners out here. Go!
Welcome back to our conversation about life in the age of the coronavirus with our guest, Congressman Stephen Lynch of the 8th Congressional District. Give us a sense, Congressman, of uh, what it's like in Congress right now and in Washington. At moments like this, I think most people would like to think that partisanship would be put on hold. We don't live in an era where that seems possible. To what extent are uh, our institutions, our political institutions, as far as you can tell, functioning in a bipartisan way or not? I, I actually think we're, we're doing well. Uh, I think there has been a coalescing uh, around the effort here. Uh, our, our coronavirus response uh, package the other day, the uh, Families First measure, uh, passed the House 415 to 2. And I don't think those two individuals will be happy about their vote looking back at it years from now. So that's about as unanimous as you can get, 415 to 2. Uh, Republican and Democrat trying to work together. And uh, so, so I'm hopeful. I, I, think, uh, I think some are still sticking with their ideological uh, uh, proclivities and, and worrying about, you know, giving money to people who are unemployed, extending unemployment benefits, things like that. But I think you have to let this, let that stuff go uh, and, and, and just focus on the problem at hand. You know, uh, I think everybody, and in an ideal world, we'd all have different ideas, but we're, we're dealing with a crisis right now, so I think we have to come together. I, I think there's room for, for debate on how we, how we respond, but uh, whether or not we respond is, 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 I think, we're unanimous in, in the need for that. Uh, and I, I can't really speak to what the Senate feels. I'm not, I'm not over there, but I can speak for our chamber, and I think we're together on this. Fair to say that the longer-term governmental response, helping people who've been wrecked uh, financially by this, getting the economy going, et cetera, et cetera, is going to have to wait a little bit till we get a feel for what's actually coming down the track at us? Right. Right. This is this may be as originally predicted. This might be, you know, 10, 12, 18 months. So think about this. We've only been into this really, uh, you know, a week. Yeah, at most or a couple yeah. of weeks at most. So, uh, you know, we have to realize what this is going to require. There's no quick fix here. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to draw on that inner reserve of uh, patriotism and, and commitment to our country. Congressman, you've been through a lot in your life. You ever seen anything like this? No, this is new and different. It really is. But uh, I'm blessed to have the job that I have. Uh, you know, I, you know, I think everyone wants to live their life in a meaningful cause, right? And these type of challenges, I think, uh, will test who we are as a people and uh, test who I am as a leader. And you know, hopefully, the results will speak for themselves. Sir, anything you want to add that you want people to hear from you? Just. Look, you, you need to observe, observe the CDC recommendations. Stay home, dear Lord. And, and if you do go out, make sure you, you maintain those, that social distancing. Uh, we really need the buy-in from the American people to make this work. Uh, you know, you see the beaches down in South Florida are, are packed. That's not a good thing. That's going to have a reverberation when those people, you know, come back. We've had already had stories about people coming back, you know, being uh, testing positive and then spreading it further in their community. So uh, it really requires buy-in on the part of the American people. Uh, 
act as if you may have the disease. You know, take that assumption and, and limit your contact with the people around you, keep them safe. Because there'll be communities in this country that do this really well, and the results will be uh, demonstrable. And there'll be other communities that treat this lightly, and those results will also be telling. So, you know, the local activity of what people do in this crisis it will have its consequences. So I'm asking people to, you know, uh, just trying to appeal to their better angels, do the right thing, limit your contact, and watch out for our seniors and, and our kids as well. Congressman, look forward to having you back at a time when I can reach over and shake your hand. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you, John. And thank you for joining us. Of course, stay tuned to WBZ News uh, for all the latest developments. In the meantime, stay safe. Follow the rules and remember, without love, there is nothing else. Without God, there is nothing else. Thank you, John. Taking a live look outside, <laughs> it is but none are expected to be available within the next year. That single fact adds tremendous gravity to the decisions made now and in the coming weeks and begs the question, how are our leaders performing on the national, state, and local level? I ask Bill King, first of all. Well, candidly, I'm reluctant to start grading people's papers right now. Uh, first of all, I don't know that we have information to do that. But secondly, anytime we do that, it's unquestionably going to turn partisan. I, I agree with Wayne. Uh, the national media, especially, all of this has a partisan spin on it. If you're watching CNN, uh, CNN or MSNBC, it's, you know, Trump's doing a terrible job. If you're watching Fox, he's doing a great job. We need to lay all that aside right now and deal with the facts. And, and one of the reasons I'm also reluctant to criticize people at this point in time, because the math on this is really very, very tricky. Um, if, you, if you look at, let's just take China, for example, the Hubei province, which was the worst place, the outbreak of this, at the end of the day, one-tenth of one percent of the people in the Hubei province was, uh, were infected. Now, if that's what we're looking at in the future, then this is going to be not a big event. But when you look at Italy, and it's accelerating every single day, that's a different, very different kind of event. Got to stop you there, Bill. I want to go out to Wayne Tolchefino. Uh, you've been watching the performance of, of state, local, and national leaders. What's your take? All right, so look, I, I, don't, I don't want the, the liberal governor of New York or the even more liberal governor of California running our country for us in coronavirus. I think Mayor Turner has been very measured, and I applaud him for that. I think Greg Abbott has done the right thing, and I think everyone should understand that Donald Trump, whether you like him or hate him, this is really hard, guys. It's really hard, and I think we should all pray that he does whatever he can do to make this a safer ending for us. Tomorrow, Bell, I want to hear from you. What's your assessment of our local leadership and the president? Well, first off, I want to applaud Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee for getting that test to site. Testing is critical to the stopping of this, and I want to applaud her. I applaud uh, Mayor Turner and Lena Hidalgo for doing what they felt we needed to do to get this under control. But I want to applaud the business community in Houston, the Houston distillery that is now going to do uh, hand sanitizer instead of liquor as somebody who don't drink. I think that is a phenomenal thing that they do. And for GM and Ford to step up and start doing ventilators. But I need to tell corporate America 
America. This is what happens when you outsource and send out of the country things that we need. Medical equipment should always be one of the priorities that we keep to keep our nation safe at home. Want to go to Charles Blaine real quickly. Charles, your assessment of leadership thus far. Yeah, so, uh, you know, last week I, I had a mixed grade. This week I think it's a B across the board. Where, but where I take issue with a lot of our elected officials is that what we're seeing at every level of government is a failure to protect our civil liberties and our freedoms. On the local, state, federal levels, we've seen requests for indefinite expansion of emergency powers, requests to uh, detain individuals indefinitely without trial, forced closure of businesses, things like this. And I think government always uses a crisis to try to expand itself. And so I think people need to stay, uh, stay abreast of that and, and start paying attention to that aspect of it as well. Okay. Just ahead, the discussion continues on a national level with Fox News Sunday and host Chris Wallace. From all of us here on the Watch Your Point crew, have a safe and healthy week until we meet again. And what's my take on it is Dr. D. Political agendas of being back and forth instead of just doing what's, what's right. And as we see, a whole list of things that could have been done. There's no such thing that it can't be done. They choose not to do it. And I believe that God is forcing them to see you could have been done this for the American people, for even in a local area, that certain things should be done and is getting done the leadership of the country, the congressmen, the representatives, the local leaders, the mayor, everyone, I believe that this is one of the times that really will expose you, make you or break you. Okay? And that's my thought on it. For the American people, this showing you guys that, hey, you're depending on too much social activity and not self-reflection. <laughs> okay? But if we all do what Second Chronicles 7.14 do, he said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, only then, I'll hear from heaven and I will heal your land. Come on now, that's word. Everybody doing their own thing, trying to prove they're the better representative, the senator, the mayor. Hey, let's just go ahead and do what God said and repent. Let's get some stuff in order. No, we, they're not looking at that. So um, I just want to keep things updated. You about to hear Sunday news with Chris Wallace. He have a lot of other individuals. Um, John Roberts is taking his place. This Dr. D from the Boom Factor coming to you live here. I'm at home in the Kima Seabrook area. And um, they're still asking individuals to stay home. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois, California. They literally have a stay home order, meaning nobody moving around. The cases have risen up to 27,000. And 300 deaths. That's confirmed cases because of the tests that's being distributed. And that's one of the problems. They don't have enough tests. 
And even when they get the test, where is it going to put the people? You see, this is this is the issue right now is to get the medical supplies, get the medical equipment for the first responders so they can even help the folks. All right. So let's hear what they have to say on the next episode. Patients. Exact details of what the legislation will and won't include are expected to be released soon. Meantime, governors in a handful of states are ordering non-essential workers to stay home, even as federal officials say they have no plans to issue similar orders nationwide. We have no plans for a national lockdown or a national quarantine. But the government is enacting tougher restrictions on America's southern and northern borders. The president has ordered both closed except for essential travel and trade. Last night, the White House announced that the vice president and his wife tested negative for the virus. They took the test after a staffer in the vice president's office tested positive. But, John, we are told that that staffer is expected to recover. John? Mark Meredith for us at the White House, where there will be another coronavirus briefing at 4.30 this afternoon. Mark, thanks so much. Joining us now, a key player in the negotiations for a coronavirus relief bill, the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Good to see you. You were up on Capitol Hill all day yesterday. You're expected to be up there again today. We hear that this package is now $1.8 trillion and may go above it. Is this going to get done? And if so, when will it get done? Well, thank you for having me here, and I, I do think it will get done. We've been working around the clock uh, in the Senate with the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, I've been speaking to Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, the Speaker, and I, I think we have a fundamental understanding, and, and we look forward to wrapping it up today. Let me, let me just walk you through the highlights of the package, because the President is very determined to protect American workers. Uh, we've ordered a major part of the economy to shut down, and the President wants to protect protect them. So the first part are what I call small business retention loans. If you're a small business, you'll get two weeks of cash flow to pay your workers. You need to retain them. Uh, you'll also get some overhead. And if you do that, those loans will be forgiven. That's about half of our workforce. That will allow small businesses to keep people and make sure when we open the economy, they're up and running. The, the second part is direct deposits. Uh, the average direct deposit or check for a family of four will be approximately $3,000. This you can think of as a bridge for them to get through this mm -hmm. quickly. Uh, the third component is enhanced unemployment insurance for people that are, are laid off due to the coronavirus. And the fourth component is a significant package working with the Federal Reserve. We'll have up to $4 trillion of liquidity that we can use to support the economy. And that, that's a, those are broad-based lending programs under Section 13.3. Uh, we can leverage our equity working with the Federal Reserve. And then on top of it, the president is determined uh, hospitals need money. There's a, a very significant mm -hmm. amount of money for hospitals and medical professionals. Uh, last I heard that for the hospitals, it was $110 billion. Is that what you're looking at still? Uh, that's approximately. We're, we're negotiating the final numbers, but uh, we want to make sure the hospitals have money. The, the best way to get through this is for us to win this war with this virus. 
Let me ask you this, this question because liquidity is is key here, and and what we've heard so far with this bill, and maybe it's changed in the last 24 hours, that was that liquidity assistance really was sectoral. A lot of it going to the airlines, cruise ship industry, hotel industry. Now the auto industry has got its hand out as well. Whereas you, there are people who say that it really needs to be broad based across the entire economy. Where are you on that front? Well, I think, as you know, when this started, uh, this was a bit unique to the airlines industry since we had shut down most of airline travel. But now that we're, we've shut down major parts of the economy, this liquidity facility uh, is, is a broad-based liquidity facility working with the Fed. So there, there is a small component for airlines, national security companies, but there's a very broad-based, as I said, we, we can lever up to $4 trillion to help uh, everything from small businesses to big businesses get through the next 90 to 120 days as we win this war. Let me ask you about this direct deposit. You said $3,000 for a family of four. That's uh, about $1,000 per adult at 500 per child. That was one of the formulas that was floating around last week. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont also continues to be a presidential candidate saying that's nowhere near enough. Listen to how he put it. What in God's name does a $600 check or a $2,000 check mean one time when you are unemployed? Yes, it may get you through three weeks, maybe stretch it, you get you through a month, but that is nowhere near what the working people of this country need and should have. Mr. Secretary, you have suggested in the past that other White House officials have as well that this idea of a direct payment may come in two different tranches, uh, one on April the 6th, another one maybe on May 18th. Are you still looking at that, or is this a one-time only payment? Well, for now, in, in this legislation, it, it is one payment. But let me just say, these three pieces all tied together. Uh, workers will get money through the small business program, again, through retention. They'll get money through unemployment, and they'll get effectively this bridge check payment, uh, which is really a direct deposit. So the, these three programs all work very quickly. And if for whatever reason, you know, 10 weeks from now, this virus, uh, we haven't won this, we'll go back to Congress again. But I think we're injecting a lot of liquidity into the system. And uh, hardworking Americans know that the president wants to protect them, and we're doing everything to support them. I was going to just ask you that question, that is, what, what is the time frame in which this stimulus package is designed to work? Is it six weeks, eight weeks? You mentioned just a second ago, 10 weeks? I, I, well, first of all, I hope this gets passed on Monday because we need the money now. Um, you know, I, I would say we're looking at this from anywhere to a 10 to 12 week scenario. But again, this situation is moving quickly. We need to get the money into the economy now. If we do that, we think we can stabilize the economy. We're putting a lot of money into the hospitals. And, uh, you know, I think the president has every expectation that this is going to look a lot better four or eight weeks from now. Right. So, so if this does does go beyond 10 weeks because, I mean, we, we've seen what the infection curve is like in South Korea. We've seen it in China. We don't know what it's like here in the United States, particularly in, in New York City. If after 10 weeks, businesses still have to remain closed and nobody's flying on the airlines or staying in hotel rooms, can you keep going back to the well? Uh, Larry Kudlow has suggested that with interest rates the way they are, borrowing is basically a bottomless pit. But, I mean, how much debt can you take on to address this? Well, I think the good news is the U.S. economy 
is strong, okay? We've stopped major parts of it, but when we get through this virus, as I've said, I think you're going to see the U.S. economy come back to the strength. We have great companies. We have great workers. What we need to do is have a bridge to get through this, and this isn't the financial crisis that's going to go on for years. So uh, I've been listening to the medical professionals. I think there's a lot of advances that are being made on different types of treatments. Uh, we're going to do whatever we, we need to do to win this war. And I think this bill gives us a lot of money to create uh, a lot of liquidity in the system and protect Americans. And if this lasts longer, we'll come back again. All right. You said that the economy is strong. You expect it to bounce back. But how long can we stay in the situation we are in now before this temporary damage becomes permanent? Because there are a lot of smaller businesses that are going under day by day because they can't stay open. They can't pay their people. And even the financial assistance isn't going to help them out. Well, this financial assistance will help them out. So approximately 50% of the economy is small businesses. And what we're doing here is we're providing the liquidity for those small businesses, many of which have zero revenues, to give them money to pay their workers, to pay their rent, to pay their electricity. But, but is that going to cover everybody? I mean, there are an awful lot of small businesses here. That, that will cover, you know, kind of roughly half of uh, the, the private workforce. And yes, in, in most cases, it's, it's companies. 500 or less, but yes, that's going to cover roughly half the, the workforce, and as I said, for bigger companies, we have liquidity facilities, we'll have enhanced unemployment insurance, uh, again, just for the coronavirus, but we want to make sure that workers are paid. Are we currently, Mr. Secretary, in a recession? I think that's a technical question that in this situation is not terribly relevant. Um, you know, are, are we going to have reduced economic activity this quarter? Absolutely. I think next quarter a lot depends on how quickly the curve of the medical situation works. But, you know, when people focus on recessions, it's normally because of a prolonged economic environment. This is a very unique situation that we've never had before. This is the government has self-imposed shutting down large parts of the economy. And as soon as we can get the medical situation under control, we're going to reopen it. And to the extent we've, we've kept all these small businesses in business, we've kept workers with them, when we reopen the economy, uh, it, the economy is going to bounce back significantly. The Washington Post reported yesterday that the intelligence community was giving the White House warnings back in January and early February that the situation coming out of China was very, very serious and would likely end end up in a pandemic. Were, were, were you over at the Treasury Department ever warned that something like this was coming down the pike? Because the initial White House reaction appeared to be, oh, don't worry, it's over there in China. I was told, why do we need to respond robustly because there's only 16 cases here? Were you ever warned early on by the intelligence community that this was coming? You know, I, I want to be careful talking about specific intelligence, but but let me be clear. And this is not just in the U.S. This is this is around the world. No, no, nobody expected this to take off at the rate it it did. And and even as you know, I've now been on the task force listening to the medical professionals for a long period of time. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, you know, I felt comfortable traveling on commercial airfare. I did. Uh, the situation. 
situation has changed very quickly, and the president has responded to that. You know, as we saw the spread here, we shut down airline travel abroad with Europe. That was a very important move. And as we've seen states, we've been working with the states in recommending this. So uh, I, I don't think anybody should second-guess the government actions. This has been moving very quickly, and I think we've responded appropriately. The Defense Production Act, the president basically activated it, but he hasn't yet put it into practice. But we, we, we have states like Michigan and so many others, and we're going to talk to the governor of Michigan coming up a little bit later, who are in desperate need of medical supplies. General Motors is volunteering to make ventilators, but does the president need to pull the trigger on the Defense Production Act and say, industry, get out there and make this equipment because we're running behind, this is only going to get worse before it gets better, and we need you to step up to the plate now? Well, I know the task force is very focused on supply chains. Uh, quite frankly, I'm full-time focused right now on the economic side of this. We have other people working on the supply chains. But uh, I, I have every confidence that the president has these powers. He's working with private industry, and we're expediting this as quickly as possible. Just before we go, when do you expect a vote on this fiscal stimulus package? Monday morning. All right. Secretary Mnuchin, as always, thanks for your time, and see you at the White House tomorrow. We'll keep an eye on the action on Capitol Hill. Thank you very much. Coming up next, we'll ask the former CDC director, Tom Frieden, whether the American health system has the tools it needs to fight the virus. Next guest on Fox News Sunday says it's time to adapt to a new normal as the country confronts the realities of coronavirus and says there is a long road ahead. Joining us now is the former director of the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Tom Frieden. Dr. Frieden, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. And on a personal level, good to see you. We interacted a lot when I was in Atlanta. Both of us were there. Good to see you again. Good to see you. So let me ask you, first of all, where do you think we are, 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 are heading with this? With the number of infections rising, where on the infection curve are we? Are, are we expecting tens of thousands of cases in the next few days and weeks, or are we expecting hundreds of thousands of cases? Well, first off, we're in different places in different parts of the U.S. and different parts of the world. And that's why it's so important that state and local health departments and governments have a key role here in tracking what's happening locally, not only with the virus, but with the healthcare system, and advising people on what to do. Here in New York City, where I am today, we are really telling everyone, stay home. And in New York City, where the hospitals are getting overwhelmed, we're saying if you have mild illness, don't get tested. Stay home because it's not going to change anything. Even if you're positive, we're going to say stay home. And if you go out there to get tested, you may use up testing supplies, use up protective equipment, use up time and effort of the healthcare workers. And if you're not infected, you might get infected. If you are infected, you might infect someone else. So mild illness, New York City today, stay home. Where we're going, first off, Really important to get one key concept. It takes on average five or six days from the time someone gets infected to when they get sick, mm -hmm. and about another week before they get very sick. So the severe cases we're seeing today are people who were infected 10 to 14 days ago. That means that for the next 10 to 14 days, we're likely to continue to see a big increase in cases in places like New York City. That's why we're so worried about healthcare becoming overwhelmed and keeping our healthcare workers as safe as possible. Dr. Mike Ryan of the uh, World Health organization says that lockdowns are, are not enough. Uh, reading a quote from him, he says, what we really need to focus on is finding those who are sick, those who have the virus, and isolate them, find their contacts, and isolate them. But I was talking to somebody at the CDC just on Friday who told me that 
CDC is not really doing a whole lot of contact tracing anymore because now the disease is so widespread. It depends on where you are. In a place like New York City, where we have tens of thousands of infections, maybe hundreds of thousands already, finding the sources of cases and the contacts isn't going to work. What you want to do is drive down new infections by the social distancing. Stay home, wash your hands, uh, don't shake hands, stay at least six feet away from almost everyone, and then over the next two to three weeks, we might expect to see, uh, after that starts, with a lag of a couple of weeks for the previously infected people, a drive down of cases. And that's when you restart really aggressive testing, contact tracing, isolation. Ultimately, what you want to do is tamp down cases. And anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world where cases are just coming in, you want to try to find the new cases. Anyone who's sick, isolate, identify the contacts so that they can be quarantined and isolated if they become sick. Anyway, we know that you have personal experience with that as well uh, in the Ebola crisis of a number of years ago as well, isolating people, treating them. In terms of a vaccine, we know that we're still at least probably a year away, but there is some promising therapies that seem to be on the horizon. One of them is an old friend that was used as an anti-malarial agent. It was given to every U.S. GI pretty much who went to Vietnam during the Vietnam War, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine, some evidence that in combination with a very common antibiotic, azithromycin, it can shorten the course of disease, but there seems to be some debate over whether or not that should be deployed. President Trump, very bullish on it. Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, a little more circumspect. Let's listen to both of them talking about it here. We're trying to strike a, a balance between making something with a potential of an, act, of an effect uh, to the American people available at the same time that we do it under the auspices of a protocol that would give us information to determine if it's truly safe and truly effective. I'm probably more of a fan of that than uh, maybe than anybody. It's early. But uh, we've, uh, you know, I've seen things that are uh, impressive. We'll see. We're going to know soon. We're going to know soon, and including safety. So the president has said, uh, Dr. Frieden, what the hell do you have to lose? Uh, we've got this treatment that we've had this drug that's out there. We've known it for almost 70 years now. Do you think it should be tried? Should it be deployed? We all hope there will be good treatment for people with severe infection with this virus, because that would make a big difference. Recently, just last week, two of the best antiviral drugs were tried in combination, and they didn't show any impact. Mm. Things seem promising, but until you study them, until you really figure out, does it work, we don't know. So absolutely, I think we should urgently figure out whether chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin have an impact on the outcomes of disease. We have three goals here. Reduce the number of infections, improve the outcomes in people who have infection, and reduce the societal and economic harms of this pandemic. You say that there's two big stories coming in the next week. What do you see coming down the tracks? Sadly, in places like New York City and elsewhere, I'm afraid we will see an increasing number of healthcare workers infected, some of whom may get severely ill, and the potential that we will overwhelm some of our intensive care capacity. That's what I'm most concerned about for the coming week. The models that we've seen and the trends that we're seeing are extremely concerning. Remember I said it's about 7, 10, 14 days from the time of infection to severe illness. That means the severe illness we're seeing now uh, was a result of infections that happened almost two weeks ago. And in those last two weeks, there's been an escalating number of cases. So the possibility of having a tremendous 
tremendous stress on our healthcare system, our intensive care units, our nurses, our doctors, transporters, everyone who works in the healthcare system, and with that, more risk of infections in healthcare, more risks of patients dying. That's very concerning, and that's why in New York City and elsewhere, people are scrambling to try to scale up the, the capacity to care for patients safely, but that's not easy to do. This is very involved intensive care. When, when you were the director of the CDC, you were always on the front lines. We saw you there in Africa and all of your protective equipment as you were looking at what was going on with the Ebola crisis firsthand. Are you concerned that the Centers for Disease Control has been sidelined somewhat in the, in the, in the public aspect of this? I mean, we haven't seen Dr. Redfield for days now. I would feel a lot safer if it were clear that the CDC is both at the table where the decisions are being made and at the podium where they're being explained. The CDC is the nation's leading health protection agency. One of the centers within the CDC is the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease. They have more than 700 medical professionals who are experts in the understanding and control of infectious diseases. And in order to do more and protect people more, we need their full involvement. Fighting this without CDC central to the response has never been done with an infectious disease threat in the U.S. before, and it's like fighting with one hand tied behind your back. The president is getting high marks from people like Governor Cuomo of New York, Governor Newsom of California, for working with the states uh, on, on trying to combat this, this virus. You've been watching there from your perch in New York City what this White House has been doing. How would you grade the president's response? Because he has been criticized by people as well. This is not a time for grading. This is a time for all of us to work together, for every part of the federal government, for individuals, for people to pull together against a common enemy, a dangerous microbe. There's something everyone can do. Stay home. Uh, wash your hands. Don't go out if you're sick. There's something that our healthcare system needs to do. Prepare for a safer surge to care for patients and also keep people who need their uh, their medications for hypertension or diabetes or other illnesses, keep them safe and on medications through telemedicine, refill prescriptions. All of us can play a role. And one thing we have to do more is to understand this virus, how it's spreading and how to control it better. The better we understand it, the better we can protect people. Let me quickly, if I could, Dr. Frieden, come back to where we started because you, you didn't give me a number at the beginning. Do, do you believe we'll see tens of thousands of cases or hundreds of thousands of cases here in the United States? I think we already have many times more cases than have been detected. In places like New York City, we already have tens or hundreds of thousands of infections. There's no doubt from the information that we're seeing. The challenge is, what can we do today that's going to slow down this um, really exponential phase of the increase, this accelerating pandemic. And that's possible by people staying home, avoiding social contact. Yeah. We're all in this together, and what each one of us does can protect all of us. One, one real quick question, if I could. Any idea how long this is going to last? very hard to predict what's going to happen. This is unprecedented. It's never happened before. But we do have, by working together within us, the ability to change the trajectory of this pandemic. What will happen in the coming months, only the coming months will tell. But what we do is within our power. Dr. Frieden, always good to see you. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Nice to speak with you again, John. Up next, coronavirus halts auto production, and now one automaker is gearing up to help produce much-needed ventilators. We'll discuss that and more with the Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer coming up next. We have like 40 years of data. That's incredibly valuable. Uh, I don't know.
sriracha. Not soon enough. Exactly. These are our sales by product, by region, set against evolving demographics. You can actually see taste trends. Since when can we do that? Since we started working with BDO. People who know, know BDO. It's only human to care for those we love and also help light their way. It's why last year Chevron invested over $10 billion to bring affordable, reliable, ever cleaner energy to America. Now you can connect with Fox News Sunday on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to check out exclusive material online at Facebook and share it with other Fox fans. And tweet us at Fox News Sunday using hashtag FNS. Be part of the discussion and weigh in on the action every Fox News Sunday. Need to get out of the house? Bring the kids to Houston Garden Centers where they can see beautiful flowers and enjoy the outdoors. Our stores have acres of plants to make your yard beautiful. Add Houston Garden Centers with better plants for less. With McDonald's. Get a sausage biscuit or sausage rake muffin with hash browns for just $1.50. Dream Garage Spring Event. Are your pets destroying your carpet? Carpet Giant is here to help. We have a giant selection of pet and stain-resistant carpet in stock. Ask about a waterproof pet. They stop stains from coming back. Come see the big guy, Carpet Giant. After an accident, Simmons and Fletcher strives to return the quality of life you once had because a few short seconds can change your life forever lost income past and future medical bills pain and suffering past present and future our clients don't seek charity they seek justice call simmons and fletcher christian trial lawyers choose the variety you want from the largest selection of roses on the gulf coast we offer you Floribundas, Grandifloras, Climbing Roses, Drift Roses, Hybrids, and a huge variety of knockout roses at Houston Garden Centers with better plans for less. Live life in the fast lane. The Fox 26 News app. Download today. states are currently in states of emergency, including Michigan, which of course is home to the nation's auto industry. Joining us now from East Lansing is the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor, welcome to Fox News Sunday. Thanks for joining us. I know it's difficult times and your time is very valuable. We appreciate you spending some of it with us. Happy to be here. So the latest count in the state of Michigan, just shy of 800 uh, cases, though I imagine the next count will be over that, some eight deaths in your state as well. How are you faring at this point? 
Well, you know, we are, have the same challenge that states across the country are having. We need more test kits. It is hard to really make an educated um, decision and to know what you're really confronting without data, and that all is reliant on test kits. We have too few test kits. We have from the from the get-go, as the same as you know any other state, and that's really important. We've right now got to prioritize those who are perhaps the most medically vulnerable for testing, and it doesn't really give you enough data to to feel like you're making decisions that are based on on facts and science. And so we're moving forward. We're trying to be aggressive, as many other states have. We closed schools very early. I've uh, yesterday closed nail salons and tattoo parlors, as well as you know last week closing other um, businesses in Michigan because it's really important that we're taking this seriously and mitigating the spread, or we will overwhelm our health care system and more people will lose their lives and our economy will suffer even longer. So we got to be aggressive now. The, the question, we, or the, at least the, the point that we keep hearing from the White House is only the sickest people or people who are really symptomatic should be tested. Do you, do you think that tested, testing should be broadened out so that we know maybe people who are asymptomatic might be carriers? Absolutely. I think that the most important thing that we need is data. We should be testing everyone who can, who comes in so that we can really understand if there are clusters, are there geographic areas that we need to make priorities, are there lessons to be learned, how many people are being hospitalized of the, those that test positive. In Michigan yesterday, there's a report that we've got an infant that tested positive. We know that our young people are suffering as severe lung damage as older people are, and, and so this is there's so much that we need to learn in such a short period of time and testing is a fundamental crucial component of that I saw that report of a one month old in Macomb County who has tested positive for coronavirus which which would seem to go against a lot of what we've been hearing that there seems to be some sort of natural resistance among the youngest people out there um, I'm told that you're hoping for South Korea here not Italy uh, when it comes to the spread of, the, of this disease I mean in terms of limiting the spread how are you doing? You know, we've taken some aggressive actions. Uh, we've been on the front edge of that, and I've continually check in with my fellow governors, Larry Hogan, Republican from Maryland, or Mike DeWine, just to the south of me in Ohio, as well as J.B. Pritzker and my, my fellow Midwesterners like Tim Walz. It's important that we're learning from one another, that we're sharing information. I was on the phone most of the morning yesterday with experts from around the country. We have got to be aggressive on the front end, or we are going to get overwhelmed in our health care system. And and then everything is going to be overwhelmed. And that's why it's important that we're aggressive. It's important that we're listening to scientists and doctors and making decisions based on, on the best facts available, always in the interest of the public health. Where are you, Governor, on this idea of a stay-at-home order like the state of California, like New York State? Others are considering it as well. Yeah, so, I, you know, things are moving fast. We're getting information hourly. Uh, I mean, we will continue to climb, and so we are always evaluating. We've got an ongoing debate about what the next step is, and I would anticipate additional steps being taken because uh, we got to be serious about this. One thing that kind of puzzles me is that you, you have limited groups of people to 50 or fewer, yet there is an exemption for places of worship. Why would a place of worship be any less likely to transmit disease in a larger gathering than an, another place would. 
It's not. It's not. And we're discouraging people from gathering at all. Um, so so why this exemption? Encouraging everyone to stand. Well, you know, the separation of church and state and the Republican legislature asked me to clarify that we're, um, you know, that that's a that that's an area that we don't have the ability to directly enforce and control. We are encouraging people, though, do not congregate. Do not go to church on Sunday and sit next to people that, um, you know, could be spreading the, the COVID-19. You yourself can be carrying it. You might not even know it. That'd be the worst thing in the world is to go to church to worship and to sit next to someone and infect them and have them suffer life, you know, life-threatening consequences because of, you know, this decision. All right. So, so the state of Michigan, uh, obviously the home of the auto industry, like the airlines, like the cruise lines, like the hotel industry, do you believe that the auto industry is going to need some sort of financial assistance here uh, to get through the next however many weeks that we're dealing with this? Well, you know, the auto industry has been the backbone of our economy in this nation, and certainly that's the truth here in Michigan. From supply, the, the whole supply chain employs a lot of people in this state, and so when it shuts down, it's not an easy decision to make. I applaud the big three working with the UAW for making the, that decision, but at the end of the day, um, we've got to make sure that we can still be competitive, that we can still um, be on the cutting edge of mobility and solving the problems that we're confronting as a globe. And so the auto industry has to be right up there with any other industry that is um, able to access loans and to get some assistance during these times. As we mentioned, General Motors has offered to retool to make ventilators, which may help to increase the supply. Are you experiencing shortages in your state? We are. We anticipate um, an incredible need for ventilators, just as every other state's anticipating. We're actively trying to find ventilators or re, you know, bring ventilators back online that perhaps were retired. So uh, the fact that GM is is really um, serious about moving into that space right now. This is a, a global crisis. This is an automaker that helped make us the, you know, arsony, the arsony of democracy, arsenal of democracy when we were in the war. This is something that um, we have a battle on. Our hands and it's got to be all hands on deck so we're grateful for their leadership you know both sides here are calling for politics to be left out of this as we respond to it but the president was very critical of you the other day tweeting quote failing michigan governor must work harder and must much be much more proactive we're pushing her to get the job done i stand with michigan what what aren't you doing governor that you could be doing more of i, I know that republicans in your state have said uh, maybe extend uninemployment insurance to people who are working part-time unemployment insurance to contract workers allow Canadian doctors to practice in the United States, allow online work by students to count, suspend fees for hunting and fishing licenses so that more people would get outdoors as opposed to stay indoors, allow bars and restaurants to sell takeout liquor. What, what do you, is there more that you could be doing? What are you considering doing? Well I think the irony of, of the attack on Twitter is that we've actually been a lot more aggressive than the federal government. We've been taking this very seriously. He's responding to my criticism that they didn't do the preparation that they needed to do on the front end. That's why we have a shortage of tests. That's why we have people who don't take this seriously because for a long time we were told that it wasn't to be taken seriously. This is what we're up against. We have to have truth in, in communication. We have to be making decisions based on science and facts. We can't have 
half-truths or hyperbole, um, convince people that this isn't to be taken seriously. If you're not serious, you're woefully uneducated about what we are confronting as a nation, and that's why I'm trying to implore everyone to take this seriously. Do your part. Every one of us, whether you're asymptomatic and healthy today, or you're someone who's medically vulnerable, has to do your part. Washing your hands, social distancing, all of the practices from the CDC. I've been so impressed okay. with Dr. Fauci, but everyone needs to really listen to him. That, that, said, that, that said, Governor, are there other steps that you could be taking that you're not taking right now? So, you know, we've been aggressive. I was one of the first governors to call off school for a period of time. I was the first, one of the first to close down a lot of different restaurants What about these other items, though, like extending unemployment insurance benefits, bringing in Canadian doctors, hunting and fishing yeah. license suspension fees? I single-handedly extended unemployment benefits in one of my emergency orders from 20 weeks to 26 so we can help people who are unemployed. I called on the White House to make sure that we had an exemption on the travel ban between the United States and Canada uh, okay, for but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Governor, medical but, but, workers. Okay. But what about going forward? What else are you thinking about? Oh, we're, we're obviously sharing as much information with my fellow governors so that we're making smart decisions moving forward. There are additional steps that we are going to continue to take, and we'll be rolling those out today, tomorrow, throughout the week as we um, ascertain precisely where we can make a difference and how we can take additional steps to flatten the curve. We've been aggressive in Michigan. We're going to continue to be. Governor Whitmer, we certainly wish you all the luck in the world as you uh, fight this challenge. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Be well. Up next, we'll bring in our Sunday group to discuss the impact of coronavirus on the nation's health, economy, and the race for the White House. I recently spoke to a group of students about being a scientist at 3M. I wanted them to know that innovation is not just about that one aha moment. Science is a process. It takes time, dedication. It's a journey. We're constantly asking ourselves, how can we do things better and better? What we make has to work. We strive to protect you. At 3M, we're in pursuit of solutions that make people's lives better. You can't claim that as a dependent because it's inanimate. People ask me what sort of a person should become a celebrity accountant, and I tell them nobody should. Hey, buddy, what's the damage? I bought it. The waterfall. Nope. My new Volkswagen. A Volkswagen? I think we're having a breakthrough here. Welcome to Caesar's Palace. Thank you. Santos is more than a five-star destination. It's a departure from the everyday, where every indulgence is yours for the asking. Yeah, you can take me there. At Santos, your bucket list becomes a to-do list, because the best of everything is all included. Exceeding expectations. It's how we earn our stars every day. Call 1-800-SANDALS. Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. He's an instant playmaker. The legend has begun with the first pick. When we face adversity, we find a way through it. It's about taking care of each other. It's the small parts that make a big difference. At Chevy, we promise to do ours. We're offering Chevy owners complimentary OnStar crisis assist services and Wi-Fi data 
If you need a new Chevy, interest-free financing for 84 months with deferred payments for 120 days on many of our most popular models. You may even shop online and take delivery at home. It's just our way of doing our part. measured floor liners, no drill mud flaps, bump step, detect liner for your bed and tailgate. Because you never know when it's going to be a weather tech day. And to secure your phone, don't forget the cup phone. Order today at weathertech.com. Made right in America. If someone knew everything about you, all your secrets, and they could use it against you, would you let them into your home? Of course not. The problem is, you already have. I have a very good relationship with China and with President Xi. I have great respect for President Xi. I consider him to be a friend of mine. Uh, it's unfortunate that this got out of control. It came from China. It got out of control. President Trump on Friday defending his calling of the coronavirus the Chinese virus, despite growing calls that the phrase is a racial slur. And his election campaign following suit, an email from the Trump war room accusing Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden of siding with the Chinese as the race for 2020 takes shape. It's time now for our Sunday group, GOP strategist Carl Rove, former DNC chairwoman Donna Brazil, and Dr. Marty McCary, professor at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and now a Fox News contributor. Good morning, all. Carl, let me start with you, because you, you lived through both of these at, at the White House. Is, is this a 9-11 moment or a Katrina moment for President Trump? Well, I guess what you mean by that is this a moment in which uh, the American people respond and say the administration is doing the right thing or say you failed. Correct. And uh, we, we don't know because if we, looked at now, we look back now and call them moments. But like on 9-11, it was not only the, the response on 9-11 itself, the, which ended with the president's remarks from the Oval mm -hmm. Office, but it was the visit to the uh, mosque on Wednesday. It was the National Cathedral speech. It was the iconic moment in New York. It was the, with the with a bullhorn, I hear you, the whole world hears you. Uh, it, it was the visit to the to the uh, World Series, and it was the the planning and the execution of the effort in Afghanistan. So this is this like that will be a series of moments. It will be a judgment that will be made by the American people as this goes along and as the administration is seen to be making the right steps or not making the right steps. So far, so good, though. ABC Ipsos poll last week, Trump handling of the uh, coronavirus crisis approved 55 disapproved 43 that was this week the week before it was 43 54 disapproved so the president's had a pretty quick turnaround for a guy who's never been above 50 percent in the gallup poll the initial reaction seems to be the american people see him as doing the right things and this is a situation where the democrats make a mistake if they overreach this attack for example uh calling it the, the, the xenophobic and racist to call it the chinese virus it emanates 
separated from China, and China lied to the world about what was going on there. China has launched an attack blaming this on the United States. Their ambassador in South Africa went out and said America created the virus. Foreign ministry officials said the U.S. Army let it loose. A concerted, organized effort by the Chinese government, and the Democrats appear to be sort of in a weird place by saying, don't call it China. Don't call it the China virus. Did they call Barack Obama racist when his when he was briefed about MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and his press spokesman said it went out and said, oh, yeah, the president received a briefing today about the emergence of MERS in the United States. We think we can contain yep. it. You know, it's just an overreach that that, 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 is, that is really a bad uh, a bad uh, mishandling of this well, moment. Well, let, well, let's get Donna Brazil to, to respond to that and, and the, the fact, Donna, as well, that the president has been praised by New York Governor Cuomo and Gavin Newsom from California while he's also receiving all of this criticism. What's your take on it? Uh, first of all, we're faced with a, a global pandemic uh, that is uh, deadly and also uh, I believe it calls upon our leaders, uh, national leaders, local leaders to work collectively uh, to speak as often as possible with one voice. I think the reason why many Americans, including myself, uh, are very concerned about labeling it as uh, a Chinese virus is because this is not the time to sow discard and division. We have to provide the kind of leadership that the American people understand, that we stay at home so that we can not just protect ourselves and our families, but our community, that our public health uh, personnel are on the front lines and they need equipment, they need materials in order to do their jobs and to protect their lives. This is a time when you look for leadership, uh, not division, not dividing, and I understand the, the, the normal response to go into a poll-driven, uh, uh, um, what I call mania, but right now we, we want straight answers from our leaders. We want to know how we can protect ourselves and protect our economy uh, as well as our own lives and livelihoods. So I, I, I just want to say, because I came out of my home and my neighborhood today, and I came out because I am concerned as an American citizen. Carl and I work very close together after Katrina to make sure that we did not, uh, you know, have this so-called uh, partisan moment. We yeah. had to, we had to work together, and that's what we must do today: work together if we're going to stop this pandemic from destroying who we are as a country and who we are as individual citizens as well. On, on the subject of leadership, let me go to Dr. McCary. What should the federal role be in all of this, Dr. McCary, to to assist states or or lead the way? And and how do you view what the White House is doing? Well, first of all, uh, many government leaders are doing the right thing, but the problem is some of America still is in denial that we even have a problem. Uh, you know, we live in a very opinionated country, but this is not fantasy football here. These are facts and this is data, and what's happening in Italy will happen in the United States. They had 793 deaths in the last 24 hours. I saw your interview with Dr. Friedman just now. I don't think he answered your question about how many cases were were going to have here. We're going to have hundreds of thousands of deaths and we're going to have millions of people with the infection. That's based on the data of Italy extrapolated to our population. What they're experiencing now is over 4,000 Americans dying per day when we get to their point in the infection. We've got the governor of Oklahoma taking selfies in crowded food courts saying he doesn't want to do any restrictions on Friday. We've got hospitals that still have been doing elective surgery all this week. 
using valuable gowns and masks. So we've got the scientific battle, but we need to, the, to do the public awareness to really uh, make a big dent here and to, and to try to flatten the curve. We only have one minute left because everybody was espousing so much their opinions on this, which we love. It was great. But let me ask you this question, Carl and Donna Brazil. Uh, do you believe that this and the way that it unfolds could have a real impact on Donald Trump's re-election chances? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, it's going to have an effect on everybody in the political drama. But Bernie Sanders is basically dead in the water. He needs to have big rallies to keep his movement going. Joe Biden is reduced to being on the sideline. And then we have President Trump's fate, fate is going to determine be determined by how well he has seen his handling this crisis. Donna? No question. There'll be a referendum on his leadership during this moment of crisis. And how I think the American people will judge him uh, if he can tell the truth and to make us believe him. I think that's a moment for the president to try to take advantage of this opportunity to try to heal and bring us together. Dr. McCarra, real quick answer. Should the president continue to push to get hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine out there? I need 10 seconds. Yeah, look, there's a study from France showing it. there may be a benefit. The idea that it's just anecdotal is, is not really true. There is some data out there, and when somebody's on a ventilator about to die, why not give them a chance with a medication that's safe? We're got to go panel thanks so much we'll see you again Thank next you. sunday coming up next our power player of the week the wife of an nfl hall of famer who carried the ball to help older retired players get their due stay with us toyota's family stretches to every corner of this country so you can trust us to be here for you all right you guys i'm just trying to stay up with the news and the thoughts and the comments and just having it all documented. Um, and it is a strange time. It really is. It's a strange time. It's Dr. D with the boom factor. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. It has been another week of fear and frustration as the country and the world continue to try to cope with the coronavirus. Internationally, the number of cases reached a new milestone Saturday and now stands at over 300,000. There have been over 13,000 deaths. The rate at which it is spreading is truly alarming. The World Health Organization reported Friday that although it took three months to reach 100,000 cases worldwide, it took only 12 days to reach another 100,000. We begin with the situation here in the United States, where there are now at least 26,000 reported cases of coronavirus, and 340 people have died, an enormous increase from just one week ago. The U.S. borders to Mexico and Canada are closed to non-essential travel, and the State Department is advising people to avoid going anywhere abroad. And now a quarter of the country is under mandatory stay-at-home orders, allowed to go out only for essential services. One of the states with that mandatory order is California. CBS News correspondent Jamie Yukis reports from Los Angeles. California's stay-at-home restrictions went into effect late last week. But for New York, New Jersey, and Illinois, tomorrow will be the first day when most of the close to 40 million people in those states are being asked not to go to work. Governors in these hard-hit states are sending consistent messages when it comes to staying home. Those young people that are still out there on the beaches uh, thinking this is a party, yeah, time to grow up. 
you know, time to wake up, time to, to recognize it's not just about the old folks, it's about your impact on their lives. Don't be selfish. We need you to just stay at home. In Los Angeles, the Department of Public Health advised providers only to administer a test if a positive result would change treatment. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says his state is following these rules. If you have been exposed to someone positive, if you are showing symptoms, if you meet that protocol, you get a test. But as more people get sick, places like Maryland activated more than 2,000 National Guard troops to help with transporting patients, conducting temperature screenings at state facilities, and working with local hospitals to set up triage tents. Here in California, the governor deployed the National Guard to assist food banks facing food shortages. The governor also says he's working with Apple CEO Tim Cook and tech titan Elon Musk to produce more masks and ventilators for health care providers. Margaret? Thank you, Jamie. We go now to Capitol Hill, where Congress is working on what is likely to be the largest economic rescue package in U.S. history. Chief Congressional Correspondent Nancy Cordes is there. Nancy, how are the negotiations going? Well, Margaret, Republicans tell us that the negotiations have all but wrapped up on this massive package. Democrats say they still have some big sticking points, but everyone understands here that time is of the essence because every day businesses are laying more workers off. And one big piece of this package that has come together over the weekend is what some Democrats are describing as unemployment insurance on steroids, where if you have lost your job as a result of this crisis, the government would pay to keep you at your previous salary for perhaps as long as four months. Beyond that, they are still fine-tuning those one-time cash payments for American workers, about $1,200 for individuals who make up to $75,000 a year, plus an additional $500 for every child of those workers. Then there's a very robust small business piece, a $350 billion package of loans and grants, Republicans estimating that that money could keep those businesses afloat for about six to seven weeks. All of these initiatives, plus the loans to the airlines, plus a big surge of funding for hospital gear, will cost, we're told, between $1.5 and $2 trillion, and those numbers could go up. The four top congressional leaders will be sitting down this morning with the Secretary of the Treasury to hash all of this out one last time. The goal, Margaret, is still to hold a final vote in the Senate tomorrow and then send it to the House, hopefully to the president's desk by midweek. And we'll be tracking that. Thank you, Nancy Cordes. Uh, we turn now to London and CBS News senior foreign correspondent Elizabeth Palmer for a look at the latest around the world. Margaret, I'm standing in the center of London. This is Trafalgar Square, and normally it would be mobbed, but as you can see, it's practically deserted. We've had more than 5,000 cases of coronavirus in the UK so far, and the infection is still spreading. But for reasons nobody really understands, it's Italy that has by far the worst outbreak. Doctors in northern Italy are fighting a round-the-clock battle to save lives, and they're losing. Almost 800 patients died overnight from Friday to Saturday. And the bad news is there is no evidence the tide is turning. I never felt so stressed in my life. As military trucks transported coffins to the local crematorium outside Bergamo, 
Epidemiologists warn that infection on this scale may engulf the whole of Europe. Spain, already hard hit with almost 400 new deaths overnight, is getting ready. Health officials in Madrid, for example, are setting up a vast temporary hospital in a conference center. Here in Britain, there was a last Friday night hurrah at pubs before the government ordered them shut this weekend, along with restaurants. Everywhere, along with the anxiety, is extraordinary compassion. When coronavirus meant that the body of Betty Ryan was driven to the cemetery in the west of Ireland with neither funeral nor wake, most of the town turned out to say goodbye in a spontaneous guard of honor. The other major center of the outbreak is Iran. It's got an infection rate and a death rate similar to Spain's and climbing. And now governments in Africa and India are bracing themselves with billions of citizens for at least a crisis and maybe, Margaret, a catastrophe. Liz Palmer with that important look at the pandemic. Thank you. Dr. Anthony Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH, and that is where he joins us from this morning. Dr. Fauci, thank you for making time for us. You just, you. You just heard that report from our uh, Liz Palmer about Italy. Are we on the same trajectory as Italy? No, not necessarily at all. I mean, obviously, things are unpredictable. You can't make any definitive statement. But if you look at the dynamics of the outbreak in Italy, we don't know why they are suffering so terribly. But there's a possibility, and, and many of us believe, that early on, they did not shut out as well the input of infections that originated in China and came to different parts of the world. One of the things that we did very early and very aggressively, the president you know, put the travel restriction Mm -hmm. coming from, from uh, China to the United States and most recently from Europe to the United States because Europe is really the new China. Again, I don't know why this is happening there to such an extent, but it is conceivable that once you get so many of these spreads out, they spread exponentially and you can never keep up with this tsunami. And I think that's what, unfortunately, our colleagues and our dear friends in Italy are facing. They are very competent. It isn't that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I think that situation in which they have been so overwhelmed from the beginning that they can't play catch up. And in direct answer to your question, Margaret, it is maybe, and I hope and I think it will be the case, that we will not be that way because we have, from the beginning, been able to put a bit of a clamper. We're going to get hit. There's no doubt about it. We see it in New York. New York is, ter is terribly suffering. But the kinds of mitigation issues that are going on right now, the things that we're seeing in this country, this physical separation at the same time as we're preventing an influx of cases coming in, I think that's going to go a long way to preventing us from becoming in Italy. This was an animal virus that jumped to a human. Then Correct. it started spreading human to human. Is the virus mutating? Is it changing? Well, uh, this is an RNA virus, Margaret, and it always will mutate. The real question is so that people don't get confused. Viruses can mutate with no substantial impact on its function. So I have no doubt it's mutating as all RNA viruses mutate. We have not seen thus far any type of change in the way it's acting. But 
we are keeping a very close eye on it because it is conceivable that it could mutate and change some of the ways that it performs. But we have not seen that yet, but we're not going to just not pay attention to it. Well, we're going to follow it closely. That's very important to highlight there. You know, one of the things that stood out this week in some of the briefings we heard from the White House was this mention, particularly from your colleague, Ambassador Burks, that young people in Europe seem to be affected in a way that was unexpected. And we heard from the CDC this week, 20% of the hospitalizations in this country um, were between the ages of 20 and 44. Why yeah. are young people getting affected this way when it wasn't expected? You're absolutely correct. And you just nailed a very important critical issue that we're looking very closely at. You know, it looks like there's a big difference between that demography, as we call it, from China and what we're seeing in Europe. Now, we have to look at the young people who are getting seriously ill from the European cohort and make sure it isn't just driven by the fact that they have underlying conditions, because we know that underlying conditions, all bets are off, no matter how young you are. If you have an underlying serious medical condition, you're going to potentially get into trouble. But if they don't have underlying conditions, that will be something we have to really examine as to why we're seeing it here, but we didn't see it in China. So we're going to look at that very closely. You mentioned uh, in particular New York and, and what may be coming there. Uh, the president has tweeted this morning that Ford, GM and Tesla have been given the go ahead to make ventilators. There's been this back and forth over whether the president actually has ordered companies or not to produce needed medical equipment. What have these companies agreed to do? And when will medical professionals have what they need? Well, I mean, as yesterday in the press conference that, that I'm sure you heard, what the president was saying is that these companies are coming forth on their own. And I think that's an extraordinary spirit of the American spirit of not needing to be coaxed. They're stepping forward. They're making not only masks, but PPEs and now ventilators. So what we're going to be seeing, and, and we're seeing it already, in the beginning, obviously, there was an issue with testing. The testing now, a, a, a large number of tests are available now out there because the private companies have gotten involved. But like the, I, the mayor of New York has said this week that he was going to run out of medical right. equipment in, in a matter of two weeks. That's so true. So when will medical... It is true he will run out? Will the no, federal no. government get him what he needs? True, true, to both of them. Let okay. me explain. We were at the, at the task force meeting yesterday, and it was very clear that the issue in New York was right on the front burner. And the situation is now that the resources that are being marshaled are going to be clearly directed to those hotspots that need it most. And clearly that's California, Washington State, and obviously New York is the most hard hit. So not only is New York trying to get resources themselves, but we're going to be pouring it in from the federal government. So it'll be a combination of local and federal. But it's very, very clear that they are a very high priority. You are the leading infectious disease expert in the U.S. government. You said this week um, that you differed from the president in his assessment that a combination of two drugs, hydrochloroquine and azithromycin combined, could uh, have the outcome that he described to the public they possibly could. Where, who is the president listening to? And do you see a concern here that those drugs could 
become, you know, basically oversubscribed and there could be a shortage that could impact people who have persistent medical issues like lupus and need those. Okay, so Margaret, there's an issue here of where we're, we're coming from. The president has heard, we all have heard, what, are, what I call anecdotal reports that certain drugs work. So what he was trying to do in the Express was the hope that if they might work, let's try and push their usage. I, on the other side, have said, I'm not disagreeing with the fact anecdotally they might work, but my job is to prove definitively from a scientific standpoint that they do work. So I was taking a purely medical scientific standpoint, and the president was trying to bring hope to the people. Mm -hmm. I think there's this issue of trying to separate the two of us. There isn't fundamentally a difference there. He's coming from it from a hope layperson standpoint. Okay. I'm coming from it from a scientific standpoint. And we wish you the best. Uh, thank you very much, doctor. Yeah. Good to be with you. We go now to the former director of the National Economic Council under President Trump, Gary Cohn. He is back in the private sector now and he joins us this morning from Long Island. Good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, we have Congress negotiating the largest economic bailout package, relief package in history. And the Treasury Secretary said this morning that if it doesn't work, they will go back and ask for more money in 10 to 12 weeks. Yep. This doesn't sound like there is a timeline on the horizon. Can you give me a scale of what kind of economic pain is coming? Margaret, as we've all been talking about, the economic pain is enormous. You, know, you think of all the workers that have been forced out of their jobs. Um, and, and the economic activity that goes along with that, that is not going on and will not go on anytime in the near future. So what Congress is trying to do, and I applaud what they're trying to do, both on the large businesses and the small business, is they're trying to do an income replacement plan. Keep as many people employed and on companies' payrolls as you can and allow them to keep living, allow them to buy their groceries, allow them to buy the drugs and medicine that they need to live their lifestyle, and simultaneously keep them on the books and records of companies so when the economy does turn around, and it will turn around, people know where they work and they can go back to work immediately instead of going through the whole rehiring process. It would be a shame if we let people go, terminated them, put them on unemployment, and then had to try and rehire them once we started the economy. But despite that, there are expectations and estimates from banks like Bank of America that this week alone, three million people could file for unemployment, uh, uh, unemployment. And that Goldman Sachs, your old firm, says that number is like two and a quarter million. These are massive numbers. What about those people? How do you uh, provide some kind of support? So what the bill in Congress is doing, and, the, and there's two parts to it. There's the Collins-Rubio piece for the businesses under 500 employees, and there's the larger piece for businesses over 500 employees. These are massive, and I mean massive stimulus packages that are designed to allow companies to borrow money, and, and the loans will be forgiven, to keep their employees on the payroll. The people that applied for unemployment last week and that were terminated last week, they were terminated prior to these this legislation existing. Right. Hopefully, once this legislation gets passed, and hopefully it's today or tomorrow, and sooner is better, 
these people can go back on the books and records of their companies and they can get their payroll. They don't have to go on unemployment. What we're trying to do is keep everyone off unemployment, keep them on the books and records of their companies so they can return back to a normalized economy when it exists. And we just don't know when that is yet. But part of what it seems like is unaddressed at this point is what happens to all those people who count as, as self-employed, who, who yeah. are uh, contractors, people who can't necessarily say they're unemployed, but they don't have another paycheck coming. What about them? Margaret, I think that you just hit on a very important topic, and, and I've been talking a lot about this. You know, we've got people that work at big companies, we've got people that work at small companies, and then we've got this big piece of the economy that's either self-employed or contract labor. Think of people that work at stadiums and arenas. Think of people that work in catering businesses. Think of Uber drivers and Lyft drivers. They need to get compensated as well. What I would encourage in the legislation, hopefully this is in there, we go back to those companies that hired part-time labor or hired labor as needed, and you go back and look at what you were paying them for the last month or the last two weeks, and you go back and pay them that exact amount of money. And those companies can actually go to the two facilities that are created, borrow that money, and be relieved of that debt, and compensate their people as well. How long do you think the bailout that's being put together will buy us before you see job cuts? Well, what they're trying to do, and I applaud this, is not have job cuts. Allow businesses to keep all of their employees on right. the books and records and continue to pay them their salary. We just that would know. be the best. That would be the best outcome. We don't know. If there's any ambiguity, companies are going to act rationally and they're going to cut employees because they're going to they're going to constrain their most scarce capital, which is which is dollars. They're going to hoard dollars, which is the exact wrong thing we want them to do. So what Congress is trying to do right now is the appropriate measure in forcing money into, into businesses and allowing them to keep all their employees on the books. One of uh, the, the key economic players in this country, a member of the Federal Reserve, one of the presidents, Neil Kashkari, uh, told 60 Minutes that they are seeing a freezing up of new financings for corporations. That sounds like when he's looking out there in the marketplace, at credit markets, that there is a warning that this could be a financial crisis. So remember, the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States is the lender of last resort. And, and so far, they have done an adequate job. They have done many of the things they need to do. What the Fed needs to do now is they need to expand, expand who can come to the Fed and borrow money and what securities they will take as collateral. So by expanding the collateral window into municipal bonds, bonds issued by states and local governments who are really feeling the crunch here, those are the people paying out um, some of the medical bills and some of the unemployment insurance, and allowing corporate bonds to be pledged at the window as good collateral, we would reopen the corporate borrowing and allow corporates to continue some normal source of economic activity. Or? Or? Or if we, we look, there is no or. We're in a time where we have to go do these things. We have to allow that collateral to be pledged. And I think the Fed will get there. They've been moving fairly, they've been moving very fast yeah. on what they've been doing. They just have to continue to expand what they're doing. Gary Cohn, thank you for joining us. Important perspective, and we will be back with more Face the Nation. Be sure to tune in tonight to Scott Pelley's interview with Neil Kashkari. He helped pull the U.S. out of the 2008 recession. That's on 60 Minutes.
At Fisher Investments, we do things differently, and other money managers don't understand why. Because our way works great for us. But not for your clients. That's why we're a fiduciary obligated to put clients first. So what do you provide? Cookie-cutter portfolios? Nope. We tailor portfolios to our clients' needs. But you do sell investments that earn you high commissions, right? We don't have those. So what's in it for you? Our fees are structured so we do better when our clients do better. At Fisher Investments, we're clearly different. Toyota's family stretches to every corner of this country. So you can trust us to be here for you. As we remain committed to supporting our community. Because the Toyota family is stronger together. This is our pledge. We are here for you now and in all the better days ahead. Toyota. Are you okay? So, y'all gonna release some call payments for people? <laughs> Airlines and their labor unions are worried that that won't be sufficient to keep, uh, to avoid large-scale furloughs uh, in the airline industry. Uh, the hotels are already seeing that. So uh, clearly there is a, a pressure to, uh, from the airline standpoint, to get an influx of cash immediately. In exchange for that, they've said that they uh, will, will not furlough workers uh, at least September, that they'll put limits on executive compensation, stock buybacks, and dividends. Uh, and certainly, Congress can add other terms to that. So, functionally, what does that mean? Is air travel essentially going to be shutting down? Well, we just uh, today saw that Emirates, one of the larger global carriers, is going to suspend all passenger travel uh, later this month. Uh, U.S. air travel domestically, the president has said he wants to keep uh, it, it going domestically, at least for uh, absolutely essential travel. Um, but the airlines without any support say they'll be out of money in the coming months already we've seen a dramatic decline um, some numbers for you a year ago they screened 2.5 million travelers in a day uh, on Thursday they screened fewer than 600,000 uh, at the beginning of the month they were screening about 2.5 2.3 million uh, you can see the drop-off 76 percent decline in travel no. Uh, that's very challenging, Margaret, but the no plan doubt. is to keep the planes flying for now. No doubt. Chris Van Cleve, thank you. We'll be back in a moment. Every day at CBS This Morning, we're here with the latest on the coronavirus. We'll continue to be your home for information and firsthand accounts of how America is coping and how you can do. As you know, we're all united in getting through this together. A new NCIS New Orleans, tonight on CBS. 